From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Dr. Jean Eels operates eResources Group, an evaluation and research business working with organizations to facilitate and evaluate projects to improve success. Jean has pioneered a model of outreach to women landowners used by many states and organizations, and she's a leader in how to best reach and support women in achieving their conservation goals. A landowner herself of land in central Iowa, she's working with her family and the tenant farmer to incorporate more conservation practices like no-till and cover crops. We are here today with Jean Eels, who is a pioneer, the leading pioneer, can I call you that, Jean, of women landowner research, who has done so much for us women landowners to understand us better, to help advocate for better training, better funding, and all of these things. And we met years ago when Moses started becoming involved with the Women Caring for the Land Project with the Women Food and Ag Network, right, Jean? And it's been a it's been a journey of learning, and I'm so fascinated by your approach to the research and your passion for the data. <laughs> because if we don't have data, we don't really have what we need, right, to learn more, to advocate for more, et cetera. And you've seen women landowners in all contexts, right, of age groups and types of farming. And di- and different, across different states, different landforms, different regions. So, Yeah. Amazing. So given all that work together, what, why are women landowners so passionate about conservation? What have you seen? What are our commonalities? Women tend to speak of the land differently. And I think that's the thing that really struck me when I first started digging into this. Because when I was working on conservation outreach, which I'd done for decades, I was always struck by where are the women? And once I found out that women own so much land in Iowa, I thought, where are they? And I realized that part of it was because they speak about their land differently and elevate different values. And we weren't recognizing it in the conservation world. We just didn't recognize women talking about their values for conservation and stewardship and all of those things. So it was a kind of a ship's passing in the night sort of moment. And I realized that women's values for the land really overlaid nicely with um, Aldo Leopold's way of speaking about community, land as a community and land as a commodity. So women are super passionate and they've always been concerned about it, but they've just been left out um, by a lot of the messaging, a lot of the opportunities. So they were just a really ripe audience for 
um, devising an out kind of outreach that works better for them. Yeah. And we're a powerful group in number, right? Was it with starting with your research in Iowa that 50% of the rural land and increasing is owned by women now? Um, it, in Iowa, where I started this, um, women own basically half the land. And across the U.S., um, they don't always have great statistics on this, but we know that women are a significant number of landowners. And depending on where you are looking at it, generally there tend to be about 40% of the landowners. And they may be sole owners, but they also may co-own. But if you're a co-owner, you certainly have your name on the deed and um, have rights. Um, so they're they're definitely there, just been underrepresented in conservation expression and conservation outreach. Wow, but that's a big number, and we have a we can have and should have a louder voice in all of this. What are some of the barriers that you've seen that women have when it comes to conservation? I think in in the early years, I might have given a different answer than I do now looking back on, you know, 10 to a dozen years of work on this. And that is managing the relationships to get what they need is really the biggest barrier because there are barriers to getting access to information. Um, they may have to manage a relationship in such a way. One of the ladies early on said, Sometimes I go into the co-op to ask questions and she says, I play dumb and just to be able to ask the, the questions. And so I'll play dumb. And another one early on said, I wish I could just jam a hat and coveralls on and go down to the coffee shop and listen to the men talk about farming because I women don't talk about farming when they get together. And so access to information that they can trust without being made to feel stupid um, is really, it was just kind of mind blowing to me that we had been talking past them all these years and not making them feel welcome and simply changing how we approach things. And they are spot on there. They are, they care, they care about their land, they care about their farmers, they care about their community. So they're a natural fit for conservation activities once we make things so that they can thrive as learners. I think that's really the key for me now is making sure that we create opportunities for them to thrive as learners. Because ag has been organized, you know, it's been a male um, enterprise. Not that women haven't farmed for years and certainly around the world, et cetera, but certainly the way agriculture is, is expressed these days, it's generally a male model. And as long as you orient to agriculture as men do, you're mostly okay. So women who may have adopted that style, and they may have adopted it so long ago they don't even realize that they adopted that style, they can be very effective. Um, and so it's not that all men are necessarily avoiding um, explaining things well to women. There's some excellent men who are um, just excellent at being able to explain uh, concepts and very patient. But as we know, there are some who really aren't. And that makes women have to get, you know, do all kinds of gyrations to be able to get the information they need 
And for many of them, that's just too heavy of a lift. So they leave it. One of the second barriers, I think, is that conservation is usually presented as real sciency. And if you think about it, there's an awful lot of women, particularly in the landowner age of um, 60 and above in Iowa and, you know, who, anyway, they didn't do science. That was not a um, big thing in school. It, there was no STEM for ladies over 65 <laughs> back then. And so we know that from some of the research in Iowa that decisions having to do with farming and conservation are tend to be made by men. And this is even with women who are involved in the farming operation, that women tend to be the ones who take care of the financial aspects, bookkeeping and record keeping, and also tend to take the first steps on land transitioning and land transition planning. So that passing that to the next generation. So there is somewhat of a gendered division in the tendencies for women to uh, do these things. And I do think that the conservation, big biggest problem with the conservation is it looks like science. And when it looks like, walks like, smells like science, if you didn't have a strong science background, it can be very off-putting. And so on that note of other alternatives, what have you found work best for women when it comes to connecting with conservation information? What types of learning environments or formats? Women like to learn from other women, and that's no surprise. Farmers like to learn from other farmers. They need to have some trust that you're credible, but also that you're coming from the heart. And so we love to have women who are experts, you know, women agronomists, women who are soil scientists, women who are foresters, and, and you name it for expertise, come and talk to women landowners because they resonate at a different level. They just get it and they're fascinated with how they got to, to be in that particular position. They connect on a human level. Um, and it just makes all the knowledge transfer so much easier. So when we have women who can learn from other women and they love to listen to other women landowners, because again, they're, they're relating. They understand that they're trying to make decisions under the same kind of barriers, the same kind of circumstances, or their circumstances may be different, but they can transfer learning. And, you know, so often we'll have a, a meeting where, you know, we may be focused on wetlands or water quality, and somebody across the room has mentioned in their discussion that they had a fencing contractor come in and maybe fence cattle out of a creek or something. And somebody across the room needs to know who that fencing contractor is. So they trade and exchange information so freely when they know they can ask and they're, they don't have to quote unquote play dumb. They can just be themselves and it makes things go so much easier. And they're enthusiastic about what they learn. You bet. Because in the Women Caring for the Land sessions through the Women, Food, and Ag Network, we would always gather in these learning circles, bottom line circles, right, versus chairs with an expert in the front and the lecture format, which I found and still find so refreshing and so unusual still in our educational world today, right, of we still have this very much expert student mindset, but I was always so amazed 
in that circle environment of how women can quickly connect? Instantly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just jump on it right away. When, when you're sitting down, yeah, when you're sitting down and not standing in the front of the room commanding attention and, you know, commanding and running the room, they are all of a sudden recognized as experts themselves. They can uh, pipe up and ask questions and share what they know and share what they've learned. And it just changes that whole dynamic. It is so refreshing. And having a place where you can thrive as a learner, what a joy. Um, It just makes such a difference. And I notice my own response and behavior so many times, how different it is when I'm respected as a learner. So I think it's a great, great thing to think about that we don't always have to have the same kind of learning environment for all people. It, it can change and, and set it up where your learners do different things, but they also are respected in a different way. And I love that idea period of Wherever you are in your journey in farming or land ownership or conservation, whatever it may be, that you have something to offer and something to learn. And that I've seen create such a welcoming environment for newcomers because often at these Women Caring for the Land circles or our other In Her Boots sessions, we tend to attract a very beginning women, farmer, women, landowner audience. Do you know? And at the Women Caring for the Land sessions, and in many cases, those women sometimes owned land right for decades or generations even in their family, but nobody had asked them to come to the table before themselves, right? And to share. And they may not have thought initially that they had that knowledge, but right. immediately things like you were saying started perking up in that exchange, which I wish we could you know, create that in other environments more too, because you found in your research of these learning circles, Jean, that that works, right? I mean, that women come to these types of environments and they feel empowered to go home and make some changes, whatever time it may take, right? Or what have you seen? Absolutely. I mean, we will, we have what I would say as a career educator, an astounding percentage of women who take an action to improve conservation on their land, 60 to 70%. And this has been verified by another organization. 60 to 70% of the women who come to a one-day women caring for the land or a learning circle, any learning circle environment, will take an action afterwards to improve conservation. And we've had women sign up hundreds of acres in uh, programs through the NRCS. We've had women who've um, fired their tenant after, you know, working with them and deciding that they're they're not going to uh, make the changes that they want. We've had women who have uh, mended fences with family members. There's a woman that was at a one this spring who has written back. She says, this was absolutely life-changing. She said, this changed my life. I have talked with my family members from with who I was estranged. They thought I was the weirdo. I started asking good questions. And it made such a difference. And so, yeah, having those kinds of opportunities to start learning, start that learning process and be validated um, is just a really, really powerful thing. As And 
to have that in an educational setting and really for such a small dose, it's really pretty cost effective. I hope we can get back to having more meetings with more funding to be able to reach out more uh, because women across the whole country uh, do respond to this sort of um, do respond to this sort of format. Right. Yeah. And what do you find is often the first step or in the sense of when a woman is new to these things, is it connecting with their USDA, their NRCS office? Is there a certain type of conservation that attracts women? I, I see, you know, at our sessions in Wisconsin, for example, we love pollinators and woodlands. You know, we're all about that. And we get it that there's a diversified ecosystem and we want diversification on our land. But is there a, a area that you've seen or recommend as a first step for women new to this? Yeah, a lot of times the the things, depending on the topic, and I always like to make sure that we have an opportunity in the field to see something and show something that they can check on their own land. And so having women know from soil health how to how to check their own soil health has been a very powerful thing. The other thing is to even just be brave enough to bring it up in conversation. We had a lady who, well, actually it was a man who came and was kind of known for being kind of gruff and, and uh, not, not a real happy camper came and talked to one of the watershed coordinators after she'd hosted one of these meetings. And he's, and she thought, Oh boy, here I am in trouble. And he said, you know that women's meeting you had, my wife came, said she came home from that and we sat down at the kitchen table and talked about farming for the first time in 40 years. I want to thank you for having that meeting. Wow. She was blown away. That's incredible. So sometimes having the courage to have that conversation is really the powerful piece that starts the the whole thing. Um you know, whether she's the one that signs up, she had a little bit of her own farmland uh, in her own name um, that she'd inherited. And whether she asks for it to be farmed differently or not is is less material than that she feels engaged in what's going on. And I think that's where you start seeing changes happen. Yeah. So looking to the future, Jean, if you had the the magic wand and crystal ball, <laughs> what would you want to see more of in land conservation training for women? I'd really like to see a lot more of uh, very plain, good interpretive pieces with that progress so that you can start at a, at a point where you are and have people who are really good at explaining things in plain language, not making it over simple, not shying away from terminology that's necessary, but starting with plain language to say, well, of course you can do this. You know, to have that kind of an open attitude, of course you can understand this. This is not a big deal. You can do it. You just haven't had a chance to learn it before. I have the utter confidence that you can do this. And I would love to see that happen a lot more in all kinds of conservation is that approach to explaining things that makes things understandable, memorable, appealing, and doable 
and intriguing so that somebody wants to learn more or, or improve things. So I think there's that. It's an approach to that that I think is a really important piece. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jean, for the important work you do. From landowners, women landowners across the country, you are finally providing a path so we can continue and learn and go from there. And thank you. And I'm sure you will see these themes come up as we continue to talk to women landowners over the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.